For in the same way their fathers used to treat, treat the prophets. The woe you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall not be weak. Woe to you when men speak well of you, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the false prophets. Now, if you're like me, you go through that passage and your eyes are drawn to certain words and away from other ones. My eyes are drawn to words like laugh, well-filled, joy, uh, things like that. My eyes are not naturally drawn to words like poor, hungry, and weak. Those are words that I try, those are conditions that I try to avoid if at all possible, right? And then, isn't that the American way? I mean, get away from those things, make sure they don't happen. Uh, and so, how do we relate to these things? I've broken this down into a couple of different categories and some of the difficult words. Now, you notice that the first part of the passage talks about those who are poor, those who are weeping. The second part talks about those who are rich. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay them down side by side to be able to compare them a little bit. And I want you to see, first of all, difficult words about wealth. And uh, this has to do then with material blessings, um, but it also has to do with other blessings besides that. Look what he said in verse 20. Turning his gaze towards his class, he said, Let's pray you are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The parallel passage is verse 24, where it says, Woe to you those who are rich. You're receiving your comfort in full. Now, you may have studied the, the attitudes before. Um, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, 7 is where we find that parallel passage. But Jesus lays down this idea of being blessed. Now, blessed is not happy, it's not necessarily joyful, but it's a deep, distinctive well being. It's a, it's, a, it's a joy of those who know Christ. It's not determined by the amount of money in your pocket. Now, what Jesus is not saying here, oh, if you're poor, you go to heaven, right? Salvation that we know we know of is not about some kind of your bank account that you get or not. So, what Jesus is talking about is principles of being blessed. We celebrated communion today. We know that there's no other name under heaven and earth by which we must be saved, except for Jesus. So what he's talking about here are life principles of being blessed, or life principles of warning about things that might trip us up. Now last week, Glenn shared about being a genius with our money, right? Of how we use these things on earth to, to uh, lay out treasures for ourselves in heaven, to advance the kingdom of God, and that kind of thing. We know that money in itself is, uh, is not evil. Right? It's not money is the root of evil, it's the love of money that is the root of many, many kinds of evil. Um, and so it's not about that. Craving for more, putting our, our trust and our attention in those kinds of things uh, is what we talked about last week. So as we think about this passage where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor, uh, if you go back over to, Luke, to Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now, if you begin to think about this, Jesus kind of moves back and forth between the idea of being financially poor and being poor in spirit. Humble, meek, quiet, those kinds of things. And he kind of goes back and forth between these, these two tracks. 
and uh, and he seems to mix them. And so I'm not going to try to separate what Jesus mixed up uh, the the the, uh, the warnings to the to the rich are clear. It's harder for a rich person to go to heaven than a camel to go through the eyes of the Remember the warning Jesus gave to the rich man? He said, Hey, I've got, I've got grain, I've got farms, I've got everything I need. And then he says, You fool, do you not know that your soul is required of you and everything don't help you in the next world? And so what we're talking about then is principle regarding wealth. And the idea is that if those who are poor, there's something that they look forward to. There's this idea of, of, uh, of blessing that's coming ahead. But look at the warning to the rich. It says, you've got your comfort in full. It's immediate gratification. It's a, you've got what you need when you need it. When we were in the airport in Mumbai, uh, I, I picked this up on a coffee table in the airport. It's the Financial Times, bonus issue, February 2008. Uh, how to spend it is what it's called. How to spend it. And uh, in this magazine uh, uh, that I picked up in a city, by the way, with 17 million people, uh, where there is, uh, again, poverty on every corner. Uh, this magazine I uh, picked up in a country with 560 illiterate, 560 million illiterate people. 13 million homeless children, uh, 200 million children who don't have clean water to drink, they need a magazine that tells people how to spend it. Uh, you can buy a $10,000 uh, wristwatch. You can buy $50,000 jewelry. Now, what the world tells you how to spend it, not just your money, but your time and your life, is on uh, extravagant, worthless pieces of uh, Jews, or other things that supposedly will make your life flourish. What Jesus is saying here is beware of the riches that will make you think that you don't need God. That there is something that you've got that you don't need. I want you to turn over in your Bible to Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Revelation 3. There's a principle here about riches. Now again, you're saying, oh, that's for the rich people, right? Those people who live in Saratoga or drive the same sand or rural voices or, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not for me. But look in Revelation 3, where Jesus talks and he says, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, and look at this, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. There's this, this state that comes over us when we've got a lot of what we need, we've got a lot, a lot around us, and we think, I don't need anything. I'm, I'm fine. I've got what I want. In fact, uh, as Americans, with the church work ethic, we're told, you know, you never say, I need anything, right? How you doing? I'm fine. I'm great. I'm good. You know, don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps ideas. But what this says is, you say you're rich, but you don't even realize how much you really need. There's an entitlement idea. There's this idea of, I've got what I've got, and man, I'm going to work my way up. I'm going to earn, get what I earn, and I'm, you know, it's going to be mine. 
And what happens when we have an idea like that is that we tend to hang on to things. I tell you, poor people don't have that idea. Truly poor people. When we were in India, one of the first things that we did was we uh, we went and visited some truly poor people. Uh, India is covered by railway stations. Uh, the British did a great job putting a railway system in there. And so uh, we got off the plane, we landed, the rest of the next day we went right down to the railway station. These are kids that uh, live in the railway station. They believe there's about 150 of these children in one place. These kids run in packs. They are abandoned by their by parents. They range in age from who knows how young to, uh, to young teenagers. Uh, they, the boy on the right there has a little room and they'll go in and they'll sweep the cars out of all the trash that's in there and hope to get a couple of rupees from people uh, as they do so. Um, they put these water bottles in their shirts and those are water bottles that people have drunk and thrown away and then they go to the tap and fill them again, put the tops back on and then sell them to other people for five rupees, which is about a cent and a half. This boy in the middle uh, is high by sniffing industrial uh, adhesive. Uh, they do that to save off the hunger pain uh, and, uh, and to, to, uh, to try to make it through the day. These are kids who sleep in the gutters and the dumpsters and the alleyways no, no more than two hours a night because they constantly have to keep moving, otherwise they'll, they'll get beat up. Um, what they have, and all things they have, will be taken from them. When Jesus talks about poor, uh, these people have no illusions that they've got it all made, right? And so we start thinking about where these kids live. This is the, the squatter area, those who have families, uh, right by the train tracks. And so these kids go through and they live in the uh, open sewers running through the streets. And, um, and that's what it means to be poor. And so they have a great understanding of their needs and what they, and what they want. And so here we were with these kids, and uh, this one uh, boy in the middle there had a rag in his, in his, uh, in his pocket with this glue on it uh, in order to stay hot. And uh, the neat thing is there's a group of people that are working down among with these children. And uh, we happen to be there on their July 4th, their Independence Day. And so this, uh, this ministry uh, actually goes down there and works with these kids and, uh, and loves on them, feeds them, uh, gives them school, gives them a uh, chance for education. And uh, that little room back behind there is uh, about as big as your bathroom, maybe two of your bathrooms. And uh, no electricity, no heat, no light, no nothing. And they try to teach the kids, and they feed them, and they love them, and they send them back out. These kids are involved in everything you can imagine, um, and uh, and they have no hope. They're untouchable class. Uh, they're dolly class, a uh, cat people, and uh, and uh, and they're throwaway children. And yet, because of uh, the love of Jesus. There are those people. This man and his wife uh, have felt the call of God, so as to move in among these kids, and uh, for about thirty bucks a month, 
they can they can survive down there, and they can. We look at the house that they want to provide for them, and uh, to be to be able to do ministry down there. Just a beautiful couple. We were in the, their current house. We we sat on their bed and ate dinner because that's the only room in the house is their bedroom, and uh, it was it was uh, humbling for us to receive such hospitality from people who have so little that they want to give. So. And think about what else then and what we have um, and what we are working with. Here's the question I want to ask you. Um, do you understand your sense of need? And what is it that you want? What is it that you need from God? If, if you were to be able to stand before God today and say, God, here's my need. I, I need this. Um, what would you say? Uh, hopefully, uh, you wouldn't say, like, uh, Janice Joplin, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes Benz? Uh, but you would have a deep understanding of a spiritual uh, gap in your heart. You wouldn't say, I am rich and in need of nothing. When we think about how well said we are, I'm not talking about just the riches that we have around us, but I'm talking about all the wealth of the resources we have. Um, do you know your needs? Do you know what, what God wants to give you, and do you know where you're lacking? Difficult uh, words about wealth. Let me go on to, uh, to the second passage uh, here and the second issue, and it's words about satisfaction. Look at verse 21. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. And the companion passage in verse 25, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Uh, if you look at those who are hungry now, you notice that they have to wait to be satisfied. That is not a popular message in our day and age. Infant gratification is the word of the day. And uh, to have to wait. Uh, think about what it means to feel hungry. I uh, remember the last time you were really hungry. And I used to say, oh, darn it. Uh, and then I saw really hungry people. And so I don't say that anymore. Because I've never been um, But you know that feeling? You know what it's like to feel hungry? There's this gnawing emptiness. There's this sense of, God, I, I really I have this need. It's right here, and I'm feeling weak. Uh, we talked this morning about how Jesus Christ came as the bread of life. You know, it's no mistake that he did that, because every human being understands, to some degree, what it means to feel hungry. So what does it mean to be hungry, to be waiting? to be looking for your next meal. In India, there's a universal sign that's like this. I'm begging for food. I'm begging for food. We would go, we went down into an area where the uh, highly Muslim area, where there are weavers, teenage children, in weaving. And as they're weaving, they're begging for money for food. It didn't even stop um, weaving. Uh, what does it mean to be hungry? What does it mean to be rich and well-fed? We have lots to eat here. Sermons, bookstores, internet. It's easy to become satisfied in spirit. Oh, I've had enough feeding today. 
But how much of it is junk food and how much of it is what God really longs to feed our souls with? Let me tell you about some hungry people. We went out into the middle of the village in the middle of nowhere, went down this tiny little street and drove and drove and drove. The thing we noticed about India is wherever you go, there are people. I mean, just everywhere. Uh, we were driving out in the quote-unquote country. It felt like the suburbs, you know. I mean, there were still traffic jams. There were people everywhere. But we went out, and we came to this church that was two months old. Uh, John G., this is the greeter team. Uh, the greeters came out and visited us. Uh, uh, this is a home church. Uh, somebody came to Christ and they went uh, into the next village and they told their friends and family about Jesus and, uh, and this church got planted. That building back on the right is a home and that's where we met the church. It's somebody's house. It's a room about 15 by 15, maybe 20 by 20, and there were 50 people packed inside. That was just the women. <laughs> the children... Uh, there's a couple men there. I can put up there. Uh, guys traveling. The children were four deep around the outside. The men were over on the other side, and they were listening in outside. These folks had been here for three hours worshiping Jesus before we got there, uh, singing uh, praises unto the Lord. Did I, did I say this church is two months old? No pastor. No building, just people wanting to know more about Christ. And they, they're enslaved to this demonic uh, system called Hinduism that puts them at the bottom of the heap and uh, with no hope, with no assurance of salvation. They heard the news about Jesus and they gladly received it. I mean, look at this. This is a lady in our, uh, in our uh, church at Valley. She grew up. She's uh, born in India. And as a missionary kid, she came back after 25 years. She had a Sunday school class, and she was just mobbed by these kids sitting on the floor <coughs> of their home. Uh, and they had everybody on their way to the afterwards for lunch. No, There's no McDonald's. There's nothing out there. Um, but they're hungry people. Children everywhere, just looking, uh, looking, watching. You go by. Dave, I took this picture for you. This is the rhythm section uh, of the church that we went to. Uh, man, percussion, percussion everywhere. Nothing but percussion, which they said to one drummer, he said, as it should be. Uh, <laughs> but uh, worship, like you would not believe, we were dancing before the Lord. Uh, some of the churches we went to were Pentecostal, and they just all talked to God all at the same time, all out loud. And uh, that is an experience. Uh, and just great. Uh, hungry and thirsty to see God work. 300 ladies showed up to hear Val and Anna uh, share from God's word. These ladies packed into this place. And it was just exciting to see this desire to know more about God. And uh, so, uh, let me ask you this question then about satisfaction. About satisfaction. What is it that you want from God? Now, what how is that different from need? You might have a need and not know it. You might have a need, and but this is something you're asking God for now. Hungry people know their needs. They sense it. They're asking. What are you asking God for? What do you want from Him? What do you want Him to do in your life? 
to, to, to move you forward in areas. The, the challenge for us in the Western Church is we just think we've got it all. But in reality, we don't. What is it that you're looking for from the hand of God? Alright, just four words about wealth, just four words about satisfaction. Uh, look at verse 21. Difficult words about authenticity. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Those, again, the human condition is that we all weep. We've all had times where we've been overwhelmed by sorrow, by loss, and by grief. But what we try to do is get over that as fast as possible and on to the good times, right? Think about this, uh, this word laugh. Woe to you who laugh now. Uh, that is our culture in a, in a nutshell. Uh, what's the latest entertainment? What's the latest new, uh, uh, amusement? What's the latest kind of thing that I can do to just make me laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh? When I think of this word laugh, I think of the laugh track that goes behind a, uh, a sitcom. And it's canned laughter. It's not deep abiding joy. It's that momentary and surfacy expression of happiness. So, uh, the word amuse, uh, amusement park, we have whole parks uh, dedicated to amusement. The word amuse means to think. The prefix ah in front of the word means not. So ah amusement means not think. So we pay good money to go to not thinking park. <laughs> But that's our culture. Don't really get authentic about what's happening. Don't really look somebody in the eye when you sense pain. If there's somebody who's hurting, look away, make a joke, move on. Instead of really dealing with where people are at. I already mentioned one group of throwaway people in, in uh, India, the orphans. The other one is uh, widows. Um, in the Hindu culture, which is probably just true around the world, if you don't have family to take care of you, then widows are, are basically abandoned. And uh, there was a ministry that we went to that was seeking to reach out to these ladies. The stories that they told were just unbelievable. And yet, uh, for five bucks a month, these people can live. Uh, and so this church is giving them $5 a month. They sleep on the floor. It's not a nice carpet. It's like this is a concrete floor during the day. They do their cooking over wood fires. Um, and, live, and during the day, they're in a mud hut with a thatched roof. Uh, that, that's the life that these people have, which is far better than they would have if somebody else didn't know. This is probably uh, one of the hardest things uh, for our team is to these widows with uh, I mean, literally not even clothes on their backs if somebody didn't give them uh, these, these clothes to wear. And so folks trying to reach out. And yet, in the church service, they would come up and out of their $5 a month, they would give their, their widow's money um, to, uh, to really feel and set the heart uh, of God. This is probably my favorite picture of the entire trip. We were in this mud hut, thatched roof place that these ladies stay, and this one widow grabbed a hold of Anna and just would not let go. 
I'm not sure who was crying more, Anna, the widow, or me. Uh, but, but it was a touching moment of two widows uh, who just connected at a heart level. And I just wonder how often we really do this. Uh, how often do we really engage uh, hearts with people around us? Uh, it's true. Wherever we go, there are people who are hurting. And that's not all there is in the world. There is joy. We're going to end today. Don't worry. We're going to end today on another joy. Uh, but uh, but uh, God longs for his people to engage authentically. And uh, we have a long way to go, I think, of it. So here's my question for you. I feel what of the heart of God? You know, there is joy in the heart of God when we worship. Um, but the heart of God breaks is this great song I forget who wrote it said, Lord, um, break my heart with the things that break the heart of God. Uh, and so to see injustice and to see suffering and to not just have your heart broken, but to actually do something about it. Is, uh, is what we're going to do. Alright, the fourth uh, area has to do with risk. Look at verse 22. Let there be within hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name for evil for the sake of the Son of Man. <laughs> and I was going to speak for joy with the devil. <laughs> but then the companion verse, woe to you when all men speak well of you. When you're hated, when you're ostracized and insulted, you're blessed. Again, most of us don't know anything about it. Somebody asked me this this morning, were you in any danger? Did you receive any uh, kind of uh, persecution for being there? We really, nothing to speak of. Um, but the church around the world knows what this is. The New Testament was written to a suffering church. It was written to those who understood what it meant to be hated and ostracized for the Lord. And look at those who uh, are on the other side, all men speaking well of them. Uh, this picture right here is a really neat one. Uh, the girl on the right was one of the very first orphans uh, in, in this orphanage that we're going to show you in a minute. At, uh, she was dumped there so 20 years ago, and uh, uh, this ministry uh, cared for her, and uh, she grew up, and she married this, uh, this pastor. Their church in Orissa had been burnt to the ground three times. Uh, and uh, by the way, she and her husband and their two girls rode for 10 hours one way on a bus just to meet him. And uh, we're going to say that story in just a second. But the church in India is, is suffering greatly. From 1947 to 2006, there were 800 attacks on Christians in India. In 2007, there were 1,500 attacks. On, New, on Christmas Eve, 2007, what were you doing? Probably at a Christmas Eve service, sitting around opening packages. On that Christmas Eve, there was a series of attacks that began on Christian churches in Orissa right where we went, um, where there were 730 Christian homes burned, 95 churches burned down, 21 Christian villages destroyed, thousands of Christians fled into their homes, uh, fled into the forest, 15 Christians missing, uh, suspected killed and buried in the forest, two uh, Christian pastors were killed and burned in front of their church on Christmas Eve. This, this pastor, 
Since then, numerous attacks have continued on. We saw homes that have been burned. So they know what it means to be a part of the suffering church. We were on our way out to this church to preach, and as we were pulling up, Sam, uh, one of our uh, hosts there, said, Oh yeah, we came out to do a baptism in that irrigation ditch over there. And uh, when we came, they uh, they came to chase, they chased us away with knives. They're going to kill us. We said, you're telling us this now. <laughs> We've driven 120 kilometers to get out there. It's too late to turn around. You're telling us now? He said, yeah, what did you do? He said, well, everybody ran away, so we had to come back and do it later. They went into one place, and they said, uh, the young people in the village came out and said, we're not going to let you, we're going to beat you up if you do this. And they said, well, we just want to preach about Jesus. They said, okay, go over to the, to the uh, statue of the pagan deity Ram, circle around him and worship him three times, and then we'll let you preach about Jesus. They said, I'm sorry, we can't do that. So they wouldn't want to preach about This is the kind of thing that's going on all the time. Not just in India, where we were, but all over the world for the sake of Christ. And yet, we say, well, I'm a little scared about sharing my faith because somebody might look correctly at I'm a little worried about wearing a shirt or a t-shirt or a, or a, a bumper sticker or, or something, getting out there at the hunt, because uh, uh, maybe there will be one of my neighbors who will recognize me and say, hey, are you a Christian? Blessed are you when they hate you and ostracize you. Let me tell you about this group. We uh, had an opportunity of gathering together with some church planners. These three guys uh, that are in the middle there, that's a Swedish uh, fellow to my right, but these three other guys are great-grandfathers. Now, they don't look old enough to be great-grandfathers of children, but they're planters of planters of planters churches. They have planted churches, planted churches, planted churches. And each one of these guys, the fellow in the middle there was a part of working on moving out into a new people group where 1,200 churches have been planted. And this is in northern India where the RSS and the other uh, radical Hindu groups are turning up the pressure, and the church cannot be stopped. The same story is happening in China. The same story is happening in Vietnam. The same story is happening all over the world where persecution comes. These guys are going for it. We were with a group of these fellows who said, you know, don't tell anything about our strategic plans because they'll get back to the RSS and they'll target their attack on us. This fellow up in the middle, named Victor John, he can't live in India, he has to live in Sweden because of Jackson, because of Jackson and Black. I mean, these, the, the church is exploding. It's happening in, in these little villages and these homes and little places like that. It's exciting to see what God is doing. He set up this whole story. Now, here's the kicker. And we went around the room there and said, how long have you been following Jesus? The old guys have known Christ for 10 years. Most of the guys... The grandfather of churches had known the year the Lord three to five years, some even less. A lot of uh, most of them weren't professional lay people. They were guys that had jobs and just did their thing, but they were being used by the Lord. So the word about risk then for us is this. What am, what am I risking for the honor of God? You know, am I supposed to go out there and find some place and die for Christ? Probably not. 
You see, the, the, the point is not to go out there and say, oh, I feel bad about where I am. The question is, well, what steps do I need to take? We do live in a Christian-friendly country for the most part. At least until November. <laughs> we do live in a place where it's relatively easy. We have lots to be around. You know, to, uh, what do I do with that is the real question. The, the point today is not to feel guilty about that. The point is that that's the reality. You know, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, you know, give all you have to the poor. Come and follow me. Is that what we're all supposed to do? Probably not. But the question is, what small step, what part, what is my my uh, my responsibility? Uh, the reason we started on this series about difficult words is because we wanted to be serious up a little bit. We wanted to jolt it out of the comfort zone. And so to talk about the weak, talk about the weeping, talk about the poor, talk about the hungry, it makes us feel uncomfortable. Welcome to the world as God's people. That Christ came to die for. And that's what we ask. What am I risking for the honor of God? Finally, look at the last category. Difficult words about the Lord. Verses 23 and 26. Be glad in that day and leave for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For their fathers used to treat false prophets in the same way. And from Haman, verse 26, in the same way their fathers used to treat prophets. Those who are hating you, those who are ostracizing you, those who are criticizing you, uh, you're in good company. Uh, I'm going to ask Cal to come up right now uh, and, um, and talk. Okay. <laughs> I'm just taking in the place of Anna, uh, who uh, came with us, 76 year old uh, woman. My church said there's a picture of her. Um, just to share a little bit of her story, since um, she's at Valley right now. Uh, she met um, this woman, uh, whose name also happens to be Anna. And uh, they have known each other for 25 years and have been training uh, her partners and Gentiles with each other. And both of them have, real, uh, have a real heart for orphans and widows. Um, and uh, this is out of James 127. Um, and, and just really been praying for years that God do a work there. And uh, so it's been a dream come true for Anna to be able to go and see the answer to her prayer. Uh, and that we were able to take her. Uh, she wouldn't have been able to go on her own. So people didn't really care too much about us. We were just another Western couple, but they really loved us. And uh, she told her story over a hundred years ago. Her grandparents had gone to India uh, as missionaries, and uh, her grandfather was buried there. And uh, then her parents were also missionaries there. So she was a third generation um, uh, Indian citizen, basically born there. And they just started clapping and cheering when they heard that because it was someone who was. They felt uh, with their own, someone of their own, and someone who understood. So um, this was a dream come true then for her to go. She's been supporting and sending money and to her husband, who we can not talk uh, to help get this started. And there's some people now going about uh, a school that we were able to go visit. Um, and a group, that's the orphans, it's a group of orphans that um, they support and care for. And they provide Christian education for them, um, and just do 
uh, really provide an opportunity of future programs, and it's been really uh, super anecdotal and see the, the uh, realization of that dream for her. Um, the, uh, the school, oh, and we were able to leave some money behind for them to just buy some supplies, and you can see the tiny, tiny classrooms that they're in, squeezed in there. In fact, uh, some of them have to meet outside under a tree because there's just no more room in their facility. So we're praying that um, God would continue to grow that work and to just to bless those people um, there. <coughs> when you look into the eyes of these kids, again, they are ones that are uh, just thrown away otherwise. And uh, man, there are a couple of them that we almost packed in our suitcases. <laughs> I wrote an email to the girl that said, I'd like a little brother. And uh, they thought that would be pretty fun. Um, but uh, this is the reward. This is part of the reward. I mean, think about what you're investing in. And uh, say, could it ever possibly have more payoff than these kids? Knowing Christ, being fed, being alive. Come on. And, uh, and so it's exciting. So, so the words about reward then, I believe, will tie in directly to how we answer these other questions. What is it that I want from the hand of God? What is it that I need from the hand of God? What is it that I feel for the heart of God? And what is it that I risk for the honor of God? What are you investing in? will help you understand what where your reward will be. Glenn um, talked last week, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Where are you laying up treasure for yourself? And to what degree? And, the, and then the, the, the last question that I want to ask you in this then is, I give what to the work of God? Uh, some of you are giving a lot. Again, this is a follow-up to Glenn's yeah, Glenn message. Where are you investing? What are you doing with your time, your talent, and your treasure? I'm not talking about just the neighborhood Bible church. I'm talking about for the kingdom of God. Uh, we all have jobs. I had a friend say, hey, look, I work in Cisco. I'm not in the full-time ministry. How do I do that? Well, you work at a job. You provide your family as unto God. You, uh, you minister in your community and in the marketplace as unto God. But then also, where are you investing to see eternal rewards? Let me finish with this last story. This is Anna praying in front of the church. The parsonage on the right, uh, there, mud hot, back roof. The main auditorium of the church is back behind us, uh, there in that thing. This is the only church in a village of 800 people, again, out in the middle of nowhere. Here's a passage, a picture of us standing in the main auditorium. The church bus is there on our right, by the way. The church bus is a motorcycle. Uh, that's the only way they get around. It's a dirt floor. They make the most colorful, they put anything colorful up that they can get. But uh, this is part of the church in that community. And uh, fat roof, leaky, uh, dirty floor, plastic chairs. But you know what? That's not the church. Amen? Uh, that's just the place where the church meets. The church is a group of people that the Bible calls the living stone. A church is not built with brick and mortar. It's not built with straw and mud. It's built out of living hearts that long for God, that uh, serve Him and love Him. 
And it's the same for us here at Neighborhood Bible Church. Uh, we've got a facility here. We've got opportunities in our community. So those are all tools for us to accomplish what God really longs for us to do. And this next uh, couple of months, couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to you about some of the needs that we have here. We're going to be talking to you about opportunities for you to give. For you to give your time to go on a trip out to Mexico where we drive down, work for the weekend, serving orphans and kids. We're going to be talking to you about opportunities to go down a mile down the street and share the gospel with your neighbors in a way that is totally, totally uh, attractive and interesting to them. We're going to be talking to you about opportunities to be involved with upgrades and, and some facility needs, some facility needs that we have here at Valley Church. Uh, sorry, here at Neighborhood Bible Church. Um, we want to put a sign in front. We think that would be a useful, helpful addition. We want to pave the back parking lot for all the cars that are going to start coming here because there isn't enough room to park anywhere else. Um, we feel like we need a playground structure at some point in time for our kids. Um, God willing, we're going to need to upgrade our baptism, our baptistry, because we're going to be doing so many baptisms for people coming to know Christ. We've got doors and rooms that need help. We've got lighting and carpet, all those kinds of things. We're by faith going to be hiring an intern to work with us to reach out to the campus next next door. Jump here to school. These are all things that are tools and are things for us to build into God's kingdom. And so I'm going to challenge you to say, Lord, what's my part in this? Many of you are giving sacrificially of your time, of your talents, and of your treasure. But some of you need to get engaged and get involved and take the first step. And so um, as we think about that this next year, then, um, then we're going to look forward to the reward that God's going to give in peace. So uh, join me in the work Father, thank you so much for giving uh, to us far more than we could ever give back. Thank you for your uh, supreme sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, we have to go and to see firsthand the way your church is growing. God, give us great joy. Give us great anticipation uh, to know that, that you're at work and we can be a part of it. God, it's, uh, it's exciting to see what you're going to do. And it challenges us, but it also fills us with anticipation of just an awesome reward, of great stories around heaven, of hearing now about some of these kids, some of these people that are walking with you today because of our investment, uh, the same way that somebody shared with us so that we can know you today. So, uh, Lord, in anticipation of that, we give you our praise, we give you our lives, and we give you our thanks. In Jesus' name.